0: Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that this conversation was spoken and recorded on the ancestral lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I would like to pay my respects to any elders past, present or emerging who may be listening. We are continuing an oral storytelling tradition that is thousands of generations old in this country, a country in which sovereignty was never ceded.
1: And I never really looked to watercolour artists. So again I think I just started I just started playing and I think that's a huge part of painting is just playing and seeing what happens. Um, because there are no rules.
0: Welcome to a world of one's own, a podcast where I speak with a series of artists I respect and admire. This time round, it's a special edition of five new episodes commissioned by the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery, featuring artists I've selected from their collection. I'm Ty Snape, and today I'm speaking with the artist Fiona McMonagle about her watercolour painting, Wonky. Wonky's a life-size portrait of a female boxer who is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Fiona's fascination with complicated female subjects. Okay so I'm here today actually in my house so if there's some kind of background noise it's because we're in the burbs and there's someone mowing their lawn or cutting down something. I'm here today with Fiona McMonagall. Welcome Fiona.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) And you've got an amazing, you've got a couple of works in the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery don't you?
1: Yes yeah I've got um, three all from the National Works on Paper Prize. And the one that's
0: Going to hang in our show that, we'll, that I might get you to talk about in a second is uh, work on work on paper from around. Well, I think. It, well, it's either two thousand and sixteen or two thousand and fourteen. Called Wonky. There were two dates that came up, but
1: it's from two thousand and fourteen because that work comes from. I made it for the Basil Sellers Art Prize. Did you do originally. a
0: series of those?
1: Yes, there were three. There were three paintings in that series, um, and they accompanied a, a, an animation. Ah, oh, cool. And um, do you want to describe the work? So Wonky is um, a portrait of um, it's a life size watercolor portrait of a, a female boxer.
0: And it's actually life life size, or a little yes. bit less.
1: No, it's it's life size. Yeah, to the best of you know, my, you know, it's a, it's basically my height. Wow. So when you hang it, do you hang it low, as if you're standing next to it? Yeah, low. My intention for those works was that. You know, the viewer was confronted, you know, face on with the work. So, as low as I could possibly hang them, they—that's where I hung them.
0: Oh, that's great because it is quite. I mean, I I found this work really like even just from a photograph online. I haven't seen it in the flesh yet, but I will. Um, I found it quite a confronting um, sort of tough work, I guess you would say. That those boxing portraits that you did are—they're pretty gritty, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that. Because these are people that I actually trained with um, in preparation for this body of work, um, but I think a lot of that grittiness and a lot of that, you know, they are they can be quite confrontational. But I think a lot of that is just the application of the paint, which was deliberate, and I like it to be like that. Um, what do you mean can, by that? Like, I think I think the way something's painted can really affect the way that you view something. So if I had have painted wonky, you know, in a much more tight manner and just a bit more considered, I think. The way the viewer reads it is is very different to you know lots of splashes and lots of water and lots of you know mistakes what I call in in watercolor. So it's, yeah, I think definitely the way something's painted affects the way you see it.
0: I mean, I love working with watercolour as well because you have that sort of, you know, I feel like the water, the paint is in control a lot of the time for me, yeah. but it can be, depending on how much pigment you put in, it can be really light and ethereal, but these ones are quite saturated, aren't they? Like it's quite dense colour.
1: Yeah. And I also use, I mean, most of my paintings really start with ink and then I'll introduce watercolour later. So, and I think that adds to the grittiness of it and... Depending on how much water you use, the way that the ink spreads and the way that it dries, you know, where it pulls and it, um, yeah, it can really affect the way.
0: Is Wonky the name of the person or is that your description? Yeah, talk about the title. Yeah,
1: Wonky is the name of the person. So these were all portraits. So basically in the lead up to the Basil Sellers, which is um, a celebration of art and sport, so you make work about sport, and my subject was women's boxing. And at the time I was training a lot in boxing, you yeah, know, mostly just training, like not, I mean, got in the ring a little bit. but
0: For yourself, just for yeah, fitness. Yeah, just for myself. So yeah. that
1: was my immediate interest. But I also wanted to celebrate women who were, you know, challenging the stereotype and and training in, you know, male-dominated sports. So the three portraits that were in the exhibition were Wonky, Myrtle and Misha. Ah. So these are all people that I knew I trained with or deliberately Misha I went and... Met just because she's a um, she's a boxing trainer and was a boxer. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they're they're all portraits. So Wonky is her name.
0: Ah, right. Because I wasn't sure about that. Because I know that some of your other. Um, titles of exhibitions like classy, they're, they're descriptive words. So mm. maybe it's
1: in that realm or so it's yeah. actually the Yeah, name it's a portrait here. and I wanted them to be portraits because they sat with the animation and the animation was also about this training experience and there's interviews with Wonky and moving images of Wonky training. i sad I missed that at the
0: time. I would have loved to see that. So the animations, I know you've worked with them for quite a while. Was that the beginning of that? or That was
1: the first one I'd done Um and the way Basil Salad's worked at the time, well, the way it works or worked, is that you propose an idea. So, And I really wanted to get into the, to this show, to this, um, to this prize. Oh. So I proposed this grand idea. I'd never made an animation before. It was just an idea. I had wow. no idea how I was going to do it. I knew that I would work on it with my brother, Declan, because he's like a tech guy. So, yeah, I just came up with this big idea. And then I got in like, oh, shit. I've got to make it now, so.
0: <laughs> that's great, though. Sometimes I feel like those ambitious proposals are the ones that, you know, the ones that you feel a little bit sick when you get it. Yeah. That, that <laughs> yes. feeling, and oh, no, now I've got to yeah. do it. Actually, that's how I felt when I got this the start of making a podcast because I'd never done anything um, yeah. like this before. And so, yeah, but it, it's always really good, I think, to challenge yourself yeah. or the Yeah, and just jump
1: in and then yeah. learn as you go. So. Yeah, absolutely, and that work really, really challenged me. I worked so hard on it, and there was—I think there were over eight hundred paintings in the animation. Whoa! Yeah, the the, the portraits like wonky. They were just kind—you of, know—they happened quite quickly, and you know that's what I'm used to doing. But the animation was very new to me. It was hard, hard work.
0: And you had an assistant working with you. Like your brother helped you though, so he you... just did
1: all the technical side. So I did all the the filming. So I've worked from videos that are kind of broke down into stills and I worked the paintings from those and um, Declan put it all together and, you know, we, yeah, we worked together on the audio and all of that.
0: But you've got to think in a totally different way, don't you? Cause you don't, yes. it's not as fluid. You've got to sort of stop.
1: And... No, but you've also got, like in my case, I had to set a timer for each painting. Cause oh. if I didn't, like there wouldn't have been enough months for me to get this job done, so wow. I had like 15 minutes. Like I set the timer. You got to get this painting done in this.
0: So then it becomes almost like a kind of, um, well, not sport, but it, it becomes a different. It's a challenge, isn't it? Like a real, a physical. Um,
1: yeah, challenge. Yeah, yeah. The the work kind of changed as I made it, and the making of the work became a huge part of it, and and that kind of brought references to you know, the sport itself and self-discipline yeah. and pushing through like all these reference sport references that have started to come out of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And timing even just yeah. that sort of, you know, PB. Yeah, you? Yeah, How fast can you paint a watercolour? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that it's, it, it um yeah, made you think about your practice in a, in a different, especially watercolour. It's so time. It is about time, isn't it? Because the way that a watercolour dries, it, it changes so much. And if you do mm. too much at a certain point, you you can ruin it. You have to be sort of patient, but quick at
1: the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know yourself, like mm. you have to kind of be in the moment with it. You have to be, I think, prepared for things to go wrong or just to let the work kind of guide you. You need just embrace mistakes. And, but you kind of, I don't know, you kind of need to be the mindset's really tricky. You kind of need to be in the moment, but you also need that distance. I don't yes, know. Yes, I know
0: what exactly <laughs> what you mean because you can't do too much or it ruins it, but you have to let it, you have to be in the moment and work with what you've got. But if yeah. you, I find if you push it too hard, it's just a lost cause. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can kill it.
0: Yeah, or if you try and work back into it, you sort of need to let it dry a little bit and yeah, it changes. I mean, I love yeah. people like Adam Lee because mm. I just can't, I look at his work and think, wow, like the layers in that of just, um, I guess, for seeing how a, a colour is going to edge or whatever.
1: Yeah, and, you, yeah, you can tell someone like him too, he's really in the moment and, you know, tuned in to what the paint's doing and knowing, also knowing when to stop, mm.
0: knowing it's when to put something aside pieces. and let it
1: dry and...
0: Yeah, and, that, and I guess those works were so big as well. So you're also thinking about the the cost of that bit of paper because that paper is so expensive.
1: Yeah. I mean, I try tried, I tried to let go of that. Yeah. My brother actually taught me when I was in art school, so I learned this lesson quite early, is to let go of the cost of materials, mm. buy good materials and let go of the cost because yeah. it really affects the way that you approach a painting. If you're thinking about how much this paper costs, and trust me, I, totally. go, I have a lot of rejects, so it, yeah. I go through a lot of paper. mm but if you're thinking about that you're not free to no. make to make mistakes and to let things just evolve within the work
0: so interesting isn't it i often find that my favorite things are just on scraps that because you're not worried about it you're yeah. not thinking so you have these funny little drawings that are never going to be anything but they're on a scrap because you were just dreaming or
1: yeah i yeah. mean yeah i've got plenty of works out there with paintings on the back <laughs> Yeah, right. Frame, so course. people don't know,
0: <laughs> but it's very different. I mean, you work in oil paints now, but it's different as an oil painter because I feel like they can work back into their paintings, and yeah. it's a totally different, you know, less um, dispensable material, really, isn't it? Mm. And how do you find that working with oils? Do you treat it in a similar way to your
1: uh, oils? Are, are still a huge challenge for me. I'm slowly starting to find myself in them, but I think. So my first show in oils was, I mean, I did a show like 18 years ago, but we won't talk about that. Um, but I did a show in 2017, was like my first show in oils, and it took most, it took like eight months just to find some sort of rhythm to find mm. myself and sort of make up my own rules and mm. be okay with making up my own rules as I as I have done with watercolour.
0: Yep. And so do you use a lot of... Um, what do you call it when you mix it thinner? Like, yeah, medium.
1: Yeah, medium so, that,
0: yeah, medium, so yeah. that it's more like a watery.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I also work flat now. I didn't oh. in the beginning, but now <laughs> I work flat like I would with watercolour just to yeah. make me feel at home.
0: It's so interesting. <laughs> I've always worked flat as well and I someone said, you've got to put it up on the wall and it's better for your neck or whatever. But if you try <laughs> and work um, upright, it's totally different. It's a completely different, the way that the, you know, the paint sits on the surface is, yeah. I don't know how people do it actually.
1: Well, I mean, I can't physically do it with watercolour because I use too much water and it would all yeah. just drip. I mean, sometimes I'll put things up to look at it and there are drips, but the painting is done flat. Mm. it's
0: so interesting. I wanted to talk about the transition Between the sort of boxing works and those looking at those types of women to the more recent works of um, that you like the show you had at Bayside uh, Classy, which was was
1: that a year ago or two years ago? That was this year. That was this year. Yeah. So that opened in, you know, that opened two days before we went into lockdown. Oh, no. So, yeah, it opened on the. Few people got to see it. There were people at the opening, but it was like when everything went weird.
0: But it was online because I've seen all Yeah, so it was open for it. a
1: week and then it was online. Yeah. yeah. And then it opened for another week and when so- we when we reopened. Oh, that's good. Yeah. In the gap. In that in oh, that, that two-week gap, it opened for a week and then it shut down again. So. Oh, that's
0: good. <laughs> um, but the women that you paint in that show are more um, sort of like these, well, this is how I read it anyway, mm-hmm. uh, these iconic, um, they're all women that I love actually, but like iconic kind of, Basket cases in some ways, or just not like wild ish types of icons of like uh, Britney Spears or Madonna. <gasps> oh, or... That, oh, no, actually... that's a different show. Yeah, that's a different I'm show. I'm getting confused. No, so
1: the show at Bayside was mostly a survey show. Oh, I had right. a body of new works, which are in oils. Okay. And then um, I had a show in July, Hugo Michel Gallery. That's the one Adelaide. I'm thinking of. Yeah.
0: So it was a similar time, though, wasn't it? They, did they almost overlap, those two shows? <laughs>
1: Um, well, they went, I think, no, I think Bayside finished. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hugo opened the end of July. Oh, ah, you were busy then? Yeah. I had a busy start to COVID. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite unusual. Yeah. And so, yeah, but they're all women across the two shows you paint.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So can you talk a little bit about that? Like what attracts you to the subjects that you paint?
1: I think I've always just been I've always kind of been attracted to painting women. I guess part of that is just that I am a woman and it's just trying to understand um mm. or trying just investigating what women go through and particularly with that show it was about looking at popular I've always been fascinated with popular culture mm-hmm. and how it shapes us as people and you know I've I've always looked at um you know, our youth and how where how and when where we grow up, how that has shaped you as a person. And I think popular culture um plays a huge role in that. Mm. You know, because I think from when you're we're young, popular culture is really all we know. And, and it's ever present, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And how that shapes especially young women, um yeah, I've always been interested in that. Um and one of the one of the portraits in this show was of Meghan Markle, who is mm. Um, also been shortlisted for the National Works on Paper mm. this year. So she's in that. Great. Um, you know, so subjects like her who were, you know, the scrutiny she comes mm. under, like no one's talking about Harry. It's all about what Megan's done. And I just, I'm so interested in why people view women in this way, or how they treat them. Mm.
0: Yeah. And how then the only way out is to either sort of choose to leave like she did mm. or to kind of self-implode in a lot of, I mean, and some women don't, but you, you sort of wonder how, it must be such a huge pressure.
1: Yeah, and you can see how it can change somebody.
0: Uh, interestingly, I mean, the title of your show Classy, I was going to ask you about that too because it is, is it just, I mean, is there a double meaning in that title in terms of class um, yeah. structure and also the term, you know,
1: the yeah, way? both those things. Um The Classy was based more, the the new works for Classy were more about um, social media, but it was also trying to look at my work because it was a a survey show. So Mm -hmm. it was, I think works went back to like 2007. Wow. Maybe, yeah. That's a long time. Well, it doesn't feel like long ago, but apparently it is, yeah. (laughs) So um, it was about trying to find a word that summed up my work as a whole and I always have looked at class and, you know, coming from the Western suburbs myself and, you know, just, yeah, the way that different parts of society are viewed.
0: Through that filter. Yeah. And now that social media does this weird flattening of it as well where Mm. you can be from a different class but portray yourself as a completely different thing, which is almost like now class is this, yeah, amorphic thing that you can almost construct yeah, via images, which is fascinating. Time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't actually take credit for the title, classy. That's Joanna Bossy's fine work.
0: Oh, that's. But <laughs> I loved
1: if she said it. I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's perfect. Yeah.
0: Um, I was going to ask you a little bit about your your well, your name, but also your background. And is Fiona? Fiona? I mean, McMonagall, Is that Irish? Is yeah. That, so, how close is your
1: Irish So I was heritage? born in Ireland. Oh wow! My dad's. From ireland my mum's australian um i'm the youngest of six kids and they moved around a bit before i was born so they met in australia um had a couple of kids and then went to new zealand had had a kid and came back to australia had a kid wow (laughs) and then went to ireland and lived for a while and had two more
0: Whoa. And how many, I know your brother um, Tim is a painter, but do you have any other creative siblings as well?
1: Uh, I think we're all creative in different ways. Um, Music is a big part of our family. So, um, yeah, like we're all very creative. But, yeah, Tim and I are the only painters.
0: Do you talk, you obviously have a close relationship with Tim. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we shared a studio for a while. Ah, okay, because...
0: I was mentioning it to someone else that I was going to talk to you and we were just sort of thinking about the similarities between your styles as well. And the, I mean, they're very different but there is this shared, there's a type of shared uh, looseness, I guess you would say, in some ways.
1: Yeah, I can see similarities, definitely. And I think Tim played a big role in just giving me the courage to go to art school and just, you know, he went before me so it was like it made it acceptable, it made it okay. and it's like, yeah, I'm going to. And I knew from probably the age of sixteen that I was going to go to art school. And
0: yeah, yeah, that's one of those goals that you think afterwards maybe that wasn't a great goal. Oh, def- yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy path. That's for no, sure. it's definitely not. Yeah. Um, I feel like it sets you up for this sometimes unattainable, I don't know, um, you know, aspirational future that sort of hardly anyone reaches.
1: Yeah, I don't know that I when I look back. I can't see another path I would have gone down. Like there didn't seem to be a choice. Like this is this is it. Mm. From a young age, like I knew. Apparently, mm. my mum tried to talk me out of going to art school at one point, <laughs> and I don't I don't recall the conversation. Really? Yeah. What did she think you should be? I just thought I would. I should do not that I shouldn't do art, but I think she was just concerned about what it would mean. I mean, she's happy now.
0: Yeah. I mean, not, not because I'm not
1: making hicks of money or anything <laughs> like that, but just because I'm. I'm happy with what I do so
0: yeah and you're
1: represented <laughs> by a couple of galleries aren't you and I'm represented by Sophie Gannon Gallery in Melbourne and Hugo Michelle in yeah Adelaide.
0: they're both great mm. galleries and so you've been in a lot of prizes as well and that's something that not everyone even if you are represented by galleries not everyone manages to do that so I did want to ask you about what prizes are for you because um you know do you are they important to you and your sort of goal setting and the way that you see yourself in your practice?
1: Um, they, I think they were at one point. not Probably not so much now. Some prizes are. Like, you know, certain prizes like the Basil Sellers were important to me because it was more than just a prize. It was about being in a curated show and it was about mm. putting a body of work together that was you know, you you proposed an idea, so it was always going to be a challenge and I'm kind of, I like challenges. Um, I think early days, prizes were great for me because they got, you know, they exposed me to um, the art world. Yeah. Um, now I think, you know, if I've got work that I think might be appropriate for a prize, I might put it in. And certainly I've had times where I've had, you know, a lot of sh- work left over from shows and, you know, you may as well put it yep. in prizes, but
0: yeah, I always find them really conflicting. It's sort of like, are you making work for the prize, or are you? You know, there's a yeah. lot of people that do make work for prizes and have it all. I'm never that organised to
1: yeah. Plan I've, it I've only done that a couple of times, and one of them was the Archibald in I think it was 2018. I Who was, did
0: you did you paint Saint Gaita? Oh, right. Yeah,
1: so that was the first time I'd entered the Archibald. It was a kind of a last minute. It, I had I think I had a bit of time between shows, and I knew the Archibald was coming up, and I thought. I'm just gonna knock out I'm gonna knock out a painting again. And that was on
0: paper, wasn't it? No, that was oh, awesome. Like, because ah, I have this thing that's like nothing ever gets into the archibald on paper. Sometimes it's very rare though. Yeah. Why do they do that? What is it? I mean, and maybe we could talk about this. It's just yeah. like the snobbery
1: yeah. around that. Oh, definitely. And I've felt the snobbery with with watercolor. i worked on paper since art school. Yeah. And I think, but I think that kind of inspired me to keep working yeah. with the medium and to like push you know, it.
0: Yeah. But you do come up against it all the time, don't you? Yeah. It's like, and and I've tried so many times to pick out what that is. It's it it comes from some place of longevity, mm. I reckon, doesn't it? Mm. It's like, how will we preserve that work? Mm. Just put it behind glass, like everything else. Absolutely. Like-
1: <laughs> and watercolor lasts a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I've I've gone. I've done plenty of tests with watercolor, like putting it in the sunlight and seeing if it fades. And
0: yeah, well you just, just use it- UV glass. It's not that hard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. To conserve things properly, but people still—it's like this old. It's a snobbery. School.
1: It is, isn't it? Yeah, but there is with 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 oils. Anyway, I know when I started when I started working on my show, my first show in oils, and I sought advice from people, you know, all this all these rules came my way, and it just left, made me so confused. Oh no, you have to do this, and you have to do this in this order, and you must do this, and it just it just left my head spinning. So, like I said, eventually I just made up my own rules.
0: And that's an interesting point, I think, making up your own rules or, you know, like a sense of what your practice is. Mm. is so integral that you sort of form that. But when you've been to art school and studied painting, it's quite hard to undo sort of what you've been taught, isn't it? Like I find myself unthinking things I learned at art school all the time just because they're problematic or they're not actually what I believe in. But mm. they think really when you're at that formative age, they sort of plant these ideas about... yeah how things are meant to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And so making your own rules, I guess for people listening, that might be at that point of their practice where they're trying to work that out. Like, I know for me, there's a certain way that I do that, but what's your way? Like, how do you get to your set of rules for yourself?
1: Well, when I think back to art school, no one, well, maybe there are a couple, not many people working with watercolor. Um, And I never really looked to watercolor artists I never, like I've always looked at oil Mm. painters or just artists that I love, like Mm. more about their ideas. So I've never really looked at um, artists who use watercolour. So again, I think I just started, I just started playing. And I think that's a huge part of painting is just playing and seeing what happens Mm. Um, because there are no rules.
0: No, that's the hard thing. I think that's actually the hardest thing about being an artist. Mm. It's the best thing and the worst thing,
1: <laughs> because
0: there are no rules. But there are no briefs. rules.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the time when I when I teach, like people do want a formula and they want to know what the rules are to yeah. make a watercolor painting. Well, a lot of it, and uh, and I'll tell them is just is just playing and taking chances and um, being willing <laughs> to fail. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it also any kind of art making you know, requires someone to be in there for the long haul and to go through the ups and downs and go through the challenges. And it's, I guess it's only when you really come out the other side and you do something that you're really happy with that you, it was kind of all those weeks or months of hard work and failures were were worth it, but you kind of need to prove it to yourself.
0: Yeah. I feel like with you, there is a lot of sort of working, I don't know, not just, not just proving to yourself, like you said, competitive, but also sort of situating yourself. And I'm really interested in that. And, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. Just, you know, painting women is one thing, but how, I mean, do you ever think about how you're seen?
1: I try not to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, like do these paintings allow you to situate yourself or your identity um, in a way, like I, I mean, understand?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Because
0: hmm. I feel like sometimes as artists you, you're so used to creating other images that we almost forget about ourselves but then the structure of society, you've got, you know, like social media or you've got to write a statement about yourself and I feel like making or speaking to women and, and making images of women makes you sort of, Unconsciously fit yourself into a
1: yeah. I mean, I guess it does, and I and I do. My subjects are something that I I like. I want people to discuss, and I do want to bring that discussion. Um, so I guess yeah, like subconsciously, I I am doing that. But I basically, I just make images. I make work that I'm interested in, and I just hope that people can relate and that people also interested in talking and looking at
0: those works. Those, yeah. And then do you ever think about them historically? So in the future, because I've only done this recently, but started to think about how works age and how, I mean, you know, say, for example, in our generation we will understand Megan Markle in a very different way to, say, a kid that's born in... 20 or 30 years' time where yeah. they'll have to be, they become then historical sort of documents?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think especially with that, that show, The IT Go, Michelle, mm. um, you know, maybe and the way that people look at Diana now as an example as opposed to the way they look at Meghan now, like how will that be viewed in 20 years? Because how long has Diana been? like?
0: Must s- be nearly 30, 30 years. Oh, no, since
1: she's died. 1997, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, how will people view Meghan Markle then? Like, and but that's just talking about popular culture and talking about those those people as subjects. Hmm. Um, yeah,
0: but do you think sometimes women? I mean, I I remember when I was thinking about all this stuff back with that show, I find it mesmerizing. You know, I'm attracted to those tragic kind of characters, but then part of me hates that women. Uh, Um, glorified not glorified but like people love the story of a tragic woman and often um, you know if a woman has tragedy in her life she's more likely to be known in history than if she doesn't
1: oh definitely and And there's
0: something really sort of anti-feminist about that that uh, you know part of me is drawn to it Mm. the drama but then part of me hates that men don't aren't remembered you know men that are just quite at ease in their life and successful are remembered but it seems that women that are just fine and have a functioning life aren't likely to be remembered.
1: Yes, and uh, last year I made works. Um, por- I did portraits of um, Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe and Britney Spears uh, and Yoko Ono, so all based around what you just said. Mm. Um, they're, they've all, there's, a well, maybe not Yoko so much, but I was just mostly Britney, Marilyn and... Um, Judy. Mm. Because, you know, what they experienced and what um popular culture did to them and what, you know, the way that they were raised and everything they went through and the, you know, what they turned into as adults. Mm. Um, you know, especially Judy Garland, like that, you know, what she was put through as a young, as a young girl, what like was that she eventually put uh, just lots of um drugs whether to make her lose weight or to because she was under such a heavy schedule she was um you know given her pills to sleep pills to wake up you know pills to to lose to lose weight so and that was from a really young age because I think you know she was on a crazy kind of schedule Mm. as just to maintain that and it's almost
0: Um, outside of her control though so yeah
1: then then they set her up to Mm. to be addicted to these drugs and then that you know look what happened to her is it you know, by the time she'd reached adulthood, mm.
0: and and, it's and people t- are fascinated by that. People are Sorry. fascinated by that because it's tragic, but mm. but also they they become these icons of of a of a type of sadness or like a beauty associated to a type of sadness. Yeah, which...
1: I mean, because you know she had all this talent, mm. but it's it's you're not quite sure what people are fascinated by. I mean, I think they definitely admire her talent. She is an icon, but mm. they're also just like yeah like attracted to the tragedy yeah
0: but then interestingly I think with your works what I love is like between those identities and say the female boxes there's something about you know a sense of control or self-control around a female identity you know and with the boxes you get this completely other end of the spectrum where they're women that are are really taking control of their physical self but also their sort of you know um competitive almost violent self mm. which
1: but it's still a huge challenge because they're in you know they're fighting their way, fighting their way through a male-dominated sport and they're facing a lot of criticism mm. um yes yeah, so I feel like that going back to that work that was a celebration of those women who were up to that challenge because it's not easy mm.
0: and I guess when you look back I mean it's it, it's always easy to see works on their own but it's I like looking back when someone's got to a point where you can put all of the works together, make a sort of story. Mm. And the fact that you paint mainly women, I feel like that's making a really interesting story, you know, that because they're all these kind of com- complicated women.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: It's, it's fascinating. And it's obviously instinctive to you why, you know, it's not like you don't have a list that you choose for certain reasons. It's an instinct to choose yeah. those people
1: yeah I mean I am attracted to complicated subjects, but i'm also what I also am attracted to is the beauty of watercolor or the traditional beauty of watercolor and it's you know small pretty landscapes mm. you know that's the that's the cliche and I was yeah. kind of up to well how do i i want to take this beautiful delicate medium and paint really strong, challenging tough things things yeah
0: and so in the future, i mean where do you see that going like can do you have any idea of how far you can push that
1: with watercolor. Mm. I think I'd reached a point you know when I started making animations I'd felt like I'd reached a point where like that's why I wanted to make an animation I wanted to push it like it already worked quite large I've been working large for a long time with watercolor so that felt like I was pushing the boundaries but so then to take it another step further and you know make these images move you know so I'm kind of constantly always trying to push the boundaries with watercolor and I thought I'd kind of done that I kind of felt like I'd reached I'd done as much as I could but like after working with oils for a couple of years and now coming back to watercolor again mm. I feel like I'm finding new things out about the medium That's which so I didn't think I, like yeah. you've
0: learned it through using something else and then going yeah. back almost or, like fresh
1: yeah and kind of also found a new appreciation for the medium because coming back to it after a few years it just like it feels really natural to me like this is yeah, I'm very comfortable with watercolour. I mean, I'm also very uncomfortable with watercolour.
0: So and you don't work at <laughs> the same time. You actually had a break from doing that to, to work with oils. Do you?
1: Uh, I just had a few shows where I focused on oils and and it is hard to go back and forth. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of got, I mean, I, and I think I will continue to work with both mediums, but at the moment I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with watercolour.
0: So who are some painters that you sort of, um,
1: I'd admire or look to their work? Um, I mean, classic, uh, obvious one is Marlene Dumas.
0: Yeah, I was going to say your work reminds me of hers.
1: Actually. Yeah, so I discovered her, like, first year art school. And amazing work. Yeah, amazing. I think seeing her when I was in art school really just opened my eyes to what you can do or with works on paper. mm and just the freedom she has and just her decision making with paint, like just physical, like, you know, just the actual paint for me with her just mm. always blew me away.
0: It's really nice, isn't it, when you can um, recognise like a lightness of touch which you then know that that means a sort of confidence that's not too weighted in the outcome, which mm. do you know what I mean? Like from doing it you understand that that means someone that's kind of a bit at ease with. Or, or sometimes, like, doesn't put too much um, expectation on the outcome, which yeah. is hard to achieve if you're trying to make a yeah. show.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I would imagine she would also have a lot of rejects like yeah, like we would working <laughs> on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I hope anyway that she has a pile of re- rejects like I do. <laughs> what
0: do you do with your rejects?
1: Uh, sometimes I'll cut them up and make collages or mm. sometimes, depends how big the pile gets. Um and if the paper is good on the back, then I'll, you know. because I mean, sometimes if you allow yourself that freedom, then you can surprise yourself and actually do a good painting. And, and yeah. even if it's just like a warm-up and yeah. then it kind of starts to turn around and think, oh, no, oh, I've got to go with this now. Yeah. And this lucky person gets two.
0: Yeah, on the <laughs> back. If I, if I sell, yeah. And you can see, I mean, it would be great to sort of historically find that and then be like, oh, look, there's a whole other Yeah, I mean, side. look, I reject
1: them for a reason. So, yeah. you know, I've got plenty of works that people who will come to my studio and, and see what I've rejected and love, mm. but it's like, well, I've rejected it for a reason and I'm very careful about oh, what yeah. I put
0: yeah I oh, see I just get rid of all my rejects but people it's I think there's something in that I never used to but there's something in that process as well of allowing the rejects to do their own thing like I find it really uncomfortable particularly if you have say like a studio sale or whatever and, and an actual collector comes or a curator comes or something and the first time that happened I was really worried about it but then I thought well actually it's a part of you know your failures are also a part of you
1: oh yeah definitely you know yeah, it's not. I think it's. I'm not afraid for people to see my failures and, um, you know, I I think they're all part of the process. Mm. It's about what I want out there mm. or what. I, oh, it's mostly about what I would put in exhibition. You know, mm. does this fit the show? Is this good enough? Like, I have pretty high standards. So mm. if something's not, perf- well, not perfect, I'm not saying I make perfect paintings, but yeah. if I'm not. Comp- completely happy with something, then I, I'll paint it again and I'll paint yeah. it again. Like often I'll paint the same painting four times, you yeah. know, just until I'm happy with it and then it can make the cut.
0: It's so interesting, isn't it? Like everyone has different standards and, you know, your standards may be completely, um, you know, someone might see your rejects and be able to hang a show, whole show of them. And yet, you know, I, last year I went to um, Helen Maudsley's studio and got to see her process and she... Has this amazing process where she creates to get to a, an oil, finished oil painting. She does about 30 gouache and watercolors leading up to it. Oh, wow. And then she has this big pile on the floor. And I absolutely love her paintings. And I was just drawn to the fact that they're all just chucked in the corner of the room, all rolled up.
1: They're and just I all said, in preparation for her. Yeah. They're just all and warm I said, up. What
0: do you do with these? And she said, Oh, that's just recycling. They go in the recycling.
1: Yeah. And I was a bit like, just. You
0: don't what it? what they're beautiful because I think that a finished gouache is a finished painting but then some people just see it as a preparatory sketch yeah
1: or and that's, that's what we're talking about before like a lot I think that's the way watercolor is often viewed as yeah, a sketch mm. whereas
0: now I feel like you can I mean the sketch can be an end result anyway
1: yeah or and it takes a lot of work to get to the point where you can create that yeah, yeah, like it doesn't just come out. Like there's years behind getting to that point where you're free enough. Well,
0: that's it. And I feel like if I then pushed to do an oil painting, I would hate the oil painting because it would be too controlled. So it's almost like what you want, isn't it? If you're trying to achieve a freedom, you yeah. know. I know what, what you mean about that
1: control too much too, too control controlled. With, I think that was what I struggled with in the beginning with oils, is that I was used to the watercolor sort of taking like this fight with the medium you know, who has control. And then suddenly with oils, I was responsible for every mark. Yeah. Every, like there was no, nothing left to chance. It was all down to me and I felt <laughs> like, what is happening here?
0: <laughs> but that, isn't that funny? Like I do think that's the essence of it and I, I think that's why I really like your work is that that element of chance, there's a mastery in that, in just allowing, you know, and, and selecting and maybe you have to make twice as many works. Yeah. But in the end, the ones you select, there's a type of magic because it's all about the air and the time and just the freedom to allow it or the trust almost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, trust, yeah. Yeah, so nice. Um, I've, yeah, really enjoyed talking about a process that I also, I mean it's a bit self, um, I don't know, gratuitous, but I love talking about that process because I, I enjoy it and I'm also captivated and challenged by it. So I hope that came through to people listening because, it definitely comes through to me with your work and I've, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed chatting about it today. Yeah,
1: no, it's been it's been great. Nice to chat to you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> we'll
0: all see you when the exhibition is hung. Exciting. So- <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thank you. Fiona's understanding of the medium of watercolour and her willingness to stare failure in the eye is truly inspiring. I talked about the self-discipline involved in making an animation as being a kind of physical feat, in a way reflecting sport itself. One key takeaway for me is the advice to let go of the cost of materials you're working with, trying to forget how much the paper cost, and let yourself be free to make mistakes. Easier said than done, but something to aspire to. This special edition series of A World of One's Own was commissioned by the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery as part of their 50th year celebrations. Audio production by Camilla Hannan and music by Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, from her album The Ocean of Everything. All five new episodes can be found on the NPRG website and your favourite podcast player. The exhibition will run from the 4th of March 2021 until the end of April. To hear more episodes of A World of One's Own, visit tysnaith.com.